God's eternal dream. If you missed it, that is on our website or our Facebook page, or you can find it on our podcast. I'd encourage you to listen to that message about end times and how sometimes we view end times. We've talked about this over the last year, um, even over this last uh, summer, about seeing the Bible as a complete story and knowing that the Bible is God's revelation of His character, His plan for the world. And we have kind of made the gospel accept Jesus so that when you die, you go to heaven. And yet the gospel is accept Jesus or put faith in Jesus, enter the kingdom, and eventually heaven comes to us. And so um, he did a great job of teaching that. And uh, at first, <clears throat> I thought, um, Jeff used to be way more preachy. And, uh, and so I kind of laughed and thought, wow, he's really teaching today. <laughs> and so um, I was hoping to give you a, a taste of something a little different. But uh, yeah, what a great message. And so I'd encourage you to go back and uh, listen to it if you missed it. Because that concept of fully understanding the Bible as that story and understanding the, um, the way that we have viewed end times for a long time isn't maybe the story that is actually there in the Scripture. And we kind of get our ideas from our culture more than we do from the Scripture. And in fact, this last week I was reading something about the fires of heaven. The fires of heaven. And I've, I've read on this before. And the first time I read on it, I was like, what? Fires of heaven? Like fires of hell, not fires of heaven. But if you remember the judgment seat of Christ that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 5, and how does our work get tested? By fire. And uh, Jesus has eyes of fire. And so there is a fire of heaven, if you could think of it that way. And so I put this quote up on the screen. I just thought this was a great segue from what Jeff shared with us into where we're going today. And this is what he says, what we find Jesus teaching over and over and over again is that he's interested in our hearts being transformed so that we can actually handle heaven. To portray heaven as bliss and peace and endless joy is a beautiful picture, but it raises the question, how many of us could handle it as we are today? How would we each do in a reality that had no capacity for cynicism or slander or worry or pride? And when I read that, I was like, oh, that's good. Because sometimes we think that there's going to be this magical transformation that takes place in some of our attitudes whenever Jesus returns and we go to meet him in the air and we'll just be transformed. Our physical bodies will be transformed. But our souls are supposed to be being transformed today. And so we've got to find a way to repent of cynicism, slander, worry. I know that seems so, like when I'm worried, the last thing I think I want to do is repent for worrying. But I need to because I'm giving more credence to my circumstances than I am to God and his provision for my life. And so we want to enter the kingdom now. And I promise you, if you make effort every day to enter the kingdom, as the scripture says, heaven will just be the next step in the journey. And, but if you make it your goal to go to heaven when you die, you might miss that one. If entering the kingdom of heaven is not your goal today, if not following Christ today, it's easy to slip into a world of deception. And so uh, I want us to, as a church, that's what we've been doing. We're trying to become this kingdom community that enters the kingdom of heaven every day, every day. And we know that one day Christ is going to return and he's going to set up the fullness of his kingdom on the earth. 
And that's going to be an awesome day. But for today, heaven come. Heaven come. Not just signs and wonders and miracles, but heaven come in my attitude. Heaven come in the way that I treat others when I'm mistreated. Heaven come when I'm going to tip my waitress today or my waiter today, and they were very poor at their job, and I think, well, I'm going to give them less. Heaven come. And help me to be as generous towards them as God was towards me when I was his enemy. And my performance was pretty poor. Oh, that's good stuff right there. That's great preaching, Pastor Tom. You keep doing that. All right. Well, today we're going to start a new series. It's kind of a shift from where we have been uh, looking at the way the kingdom of God operates in our lives. And I'm going to call this Church Matters. Church Matters. And so for several weeks, uh, we're going to look at Church Matters. And that means... The, the idea that it's important, church matters, it's important, but it also means matters in the sense of things that pertain to the church, things that pertain to the church. And so it's a series to help us frame what church is. We've talked about this a little bit when we talked about Jesus said, I will build my church, and we get our idea of church sometimes, again, from our culture, not from the scripture. Um, in Acts chapter 13, I don't have this one on the screen, but Acts chapter 13, verse 2, um, it says that the, these leaders, these prophets and teachers, were worshiping the Lord and fasting together, and the Holy Spirit said, do this. Now, for some of us, especially those of us in this Pentecostal circle, we tend to view Acts chapter 13 as what just happened a few moments ago in this room. We were worshiping the Lord. We weren't fasting, but maybe you are. Um, but we were worshiping the Lord, and we think that's what it means, Acts 13, 2. They were fasting, and they were doing that. And while I wouldn't disagree that that could be what, what worshiping the Lord and fasting looks like, <clears throat> that's not what's happening in Acts church, chapter 13, verse 2. And I know that because, one, they're not using instruments. So maybe they were a cappella singing, but that's actually not even the word worshiping. It's the word to minister unto the Lord. If you go to Luke chapter 1, verse 23, when Zechariah was ministering in the temple, that's the word. He was doing his priestly duties in the temple. He was ministering to the Lord. So whatever they were doing, and I don't really know, and scholars try to guess what they were doing. They could have been reciting scripture together. They could have just been meditating. They could have been vocalizing their praise, probably more in word form than song form. And that could have been what they were doing. But whatever they were doing, it was ministering to the Lord. And sometimes what we call worship is really more ministry to us than it is ministry to the Lord. Because if the, the beat isn't quite right, well, I, it's so hard for me to worship if I can't feel it. Well, I love what Pastor Mark said. Sometimes you just worship whether you feel it or not. It's not what I feel. It's I minister to him. And declaring who he is ministers to him. And that's kind of what they were doing. And why I bring that up is because sometimes in, in our circles, we think, you know, what just happened, that's when we hear the Lord. But churches that don't do that, well, they're not hearing the Lord. Au contraire. I think some denominations that we tend to look down on sometimes because they're not quote-unquote spirit-filled probably are hearing the Lord in some ways better than we are. And we can learn from one another. The body of Christ is bigger than Restoration Church. It's bigger than the Assemblies of God even. And so I want us, as we talk about church matters, not to just get locked in on what we've always known or what we've always believed or what we were taught, 
and really start digging into what the Scripture is saying and not making our preference or our culture what is true, but trying to get the, the Word of God. And, and really, what does church mean? And today, uh, I, just the reminder, church is not a building. It is in our culture. It's not a program. It's not a worship service. It's not a denomination. When Jesus said, I will build my church, he's talking about a kingdom community that he is building, a people with a certain mindset, a people that are going to be on mission, a people that are going to establish justice on the earth, a people that are going to be citizens of heaven, heaven, citizens of heaven on the earth. And that's what he's talking about. And back in the Bible day, there was really just one church. There weren't different denominations. There weren't different buildings all around the community. There was the church. And so for them, there may have been several house churches, but they were all connected. And there were different churches in different cities, but they were all connected. They shared a leadership team. They shared uh, a commonality. And sometimes when we look at our broken system today, we, we get frustrated and we think, oh, we just need to get back to that. But I don't know that denominations are bad. I think the way we handle them sometimes is bad, but I don't think they're bad, and I think we can learn from each other, and I'd love us as Restoration Church to go first, to go first, to be slow to speak, to let other people speak, to learn from them, to not just dismiss a denomination because of one thing they believe that we think is wrong, but really to get at the table with other believers and try not to just be unified within ourselves, but really to bring a unity to the body of Christ without compromising the truth that Jesus is the only way. If you're going to compromise Jesus is the only way, then you're no longer really talking about the church. But everything else, just listen and grow and let someone else teach us uh, maybe something we need to hear or something that we need to know. Another thing I just want to point out before we dive in is that Christ calls himself the head of the church. It's his body. It's his body. And there are people in our culture today that want to worship the head without a body. And that's just not possible. <laughs> he loves his body. His body is flawed. His body is imperfect. His body does some things that sometimes we look at and we're like, wow, that's not good. But it's his body. I once picked up a book. I was in Barnes and Nobles and we were just having coffee with some friends and perusing the, the section, the religious section there. And it was years ago. And I picked up a book called Love Jesus, Hate Church. <laughs> and I get what he was talking about, but he's just totally missed the whole point. You can't do that. I mean, you can hate the system, maybe that's not correct, but the church is his body, it's his people his bride and you cannot and there's this idea that you can love Jesus and hate church it's really true in our culture I can love Jesus but I don't have to belong to the church false false that's not what Jesus taught us and so those are some things that we're going to look at as we go through this series and today we're talking about the commodities of the church the commodities of the church and the commodities of the church are not people because people are the church the commodities of the church are what the people, you and I, bring to the table. And so today we're going to look at two specific commodities. We may talk about other ones at other times, but we're going to talk about our time and our energy, and we're going to talk about our resources. Those are the two commodities that each of us have as individuals 
that we bring to the table. And so when it comes to looking for a place to belong or a church to be a part of in our world, um, whether you move into a new community or whether a time comes where you feel like you just have to separate from another body and move into a different body, um, it's interesting how different people look for a church. I believe that we ought to be spirit-led as we look for a church. We shouldn't just look for what I prefer. We shouldn't just look for what I'm comfortable with. Well, I'm really comfortable with that church. I really liked it. In fact, um, if I like the message of that church. There ought to be something that you hear or something that you experience at church that rubs you the wrong way or that you don't like. Because if you're in a room full of people that are just a carbon copy of you, that's not the church. <laughs> Because that's, I mean, we're all created with different giftings and different purposes and different parts and different perspectives. And that's what the church is. And sometimes people leave a church because of their, their preferences or they were rubbed the wrong way or maybe they had a disagreement with someone. And so naturally in our world, we got to go where there's less resistance. Well, if you keep doing that, you're going to short circuit the type of growth that God has in mind when he plants us in a church. And so, in fact, you may visit a church and you're like, wow, there's something missing in this church and here's what it is. Oh, maybe that's where God wants you to be because you have the perspective of that thing and that's missing from that church and maybe you should join that one because you fit. Yeah, we see, we look at it like, well, you know, I really need this in the church and that's missing in that church, so I'm going to go to a different church. What if God brought you there to bring it there? I mean, there, there's so many ways to look at this thing, and I'm not going to give you these dogmatic, this is how it has to be, uh, I'm going to present some scriptural ideas, I won't shy away from telling you what my thoughts and opinions are on them, but I can't say beyond a shadow of a doubt that's the only way to see some of these things, especially when we start talking about preferences in our church culture. I do believe there does come a time when you do need to leave a church, um, we had a, a couple that many years ago, um, they, his, his mom went to a different church. And they got to a place where his mom couldn't go by herself. And they really wrestled with leaving our church. And they came and they visited with me and said, you know, um, we haven't wanted to leave because we know the church was in a rough spot and we were serving and we just, we, but we really felt like we needed to go and because his mom can't go to church if we don't go with her and we just feel like it's the best thing for our family. And I bless them. And I mean, I, I want everyone to be in our church, but I do realize at times people are going to move to a different church. But can I, can I challenge you, if you're ever going to leave a church, leave it right. Leave it right. If you leave it because you're angry about something and you haven't had a conversation with those you're leaving behind, that's not right in the body of Christ. I mean, we can be open, we can be honest, and we can be kind with one another when we have disagreements that cause us to separate. I mean, even Paul and Barnabas at one point had to separate. But I don't envision, envision them separating and not talking to each other again or just slipping away from each other and then just, you know, well, you know, we just wanted to leave quietly because we didn't want to cause any problems. Well, guess what? Leaving quietly causes problems because people are like, where'd they go? That's some great advice, but you can just <laughs> ponder it and write it down and think about it later. Okay, so time and energy, time and energy, our first commodity. Let's look at a couple scriptures when it comes to our time, 
our energy. You could even put your giftings or your graces as a part of that. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, Peter says to the, the church that he's writing to here, each of you should use whatever gift, and that's actually the word grace, charis in the Greek. So some places it's translated gra- uh, grace, some places it's translated gift. And so the translators actually get to pick and choose which one they think it is based on the context. So some of your translations may say whatever grace, some may say whatever gift, same word. Whatever grace or gift you have received, use it to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So in other words, everyone, God has grace, unlimited grace, and he imparts little graces to each of us so that we can serve one another. Okay, all throughout scriptures, there's different lists of these graces, leadership, hospitality, uh, service, teaching, prophecy. Uh, It doesn't mean that not everyone should be hospitable. We should all be hospitable, but some people, it's a natural gifting. So use your graces to serve one another because they're from God for others. From God for others. And it's for their good. Not for my good, for their good. Then in Ephesians chapter 4, this time Paul is speaking and he's talked about not lying and putting off all falsehood. And then he says in verse 15, Instead, speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Now, I want you to see, we are to grow more and more like Christ. And I believe the way we grow more and more like Christ is in the context of the church. Because again, differing perspectives, differing parts of the body, different giftings. I've got to find a way to work together with these different people that Christ has put me together with. I mean, Paul has talked about the wall between Jew and Gentile, which you can't get any more opposite than that coming down and them needing to come together and find a way to coexist. I mean, there is nothing more difficult than that one. And so you and I grow more and more like Christ as we are together in his body. Verse 16, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. (laughs) Please do not get a vision of what that means in your mind. Because we we get this idealistic that fits the fits together perfectly, and we spend all of our lives searching for the perfect church. And I've always heard it said, if you look for the perfect church, the moment you join it, you'll ruin it. (laughs) Because it's just not out there, okay? There's going to be something about every church body that we're a part of that we like and something we don't like and something that we struggle with. There may even be some tension at times. That's okay, It's how we handle the tension that matters. It's how we handle our disagreements that matter. It's not that there's going to be this perfect utopia in the church. That's not what he means. So our idea of fitting together perfectly in God's (laughs) may not be the same. One of my favorite quotes from one of my professors in college was, God will often bring you what you need in a package you do not want. God will often bring you what you need in a package you do not want because he wants you to grow. And the way we grow, sometimes it's through a package we don't want. We don't want that person to be the one to tell us something. We don't want to be we don't want to ask that person for help. 
Come on. Yep. And so that's how we become more like Christ within his body. As each part does its own special work. Remember, we all got our own part. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. The only way the whole body can be healthy and growing and full of love is as each part does its own special work. That means if you're not doing your part, our body is not at its full potential. And crazy enough, the people that usually complain the most about church are the people that aren't doing their part. And they're the reason it's not reaching its full potential. Okay. First Corinthians chapter 12. Paul says it here too. This is 12, 13, and 14. Yeah, it talks about the gifts of the Spirit, but Paul is brilliant in the analogy he's using about the body. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one body, one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. That goes back to that spirit-led search that I talked about. God may put you in a body that your flesh may not like. be like, oh, I don't want to come to this body. Well, ask the Lord if you need to be a part of that body. Because there may be something within you. I mean, wow, heaven forbid that there's something within each of us that actually is incorrect in our attitudes or in our speech that needs to be changed. Guess what? Every one of us. We're just totally unaware of where it is. And when we start hanging out with other people that rub us the wrong way, it'll come to the surface. And then we blame it on the other person. Well, the only reason I acted that way is because of them. No, 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 no. That was what was in your heart. And God brought that person into your life to bring it to the surface so you could repent. Well, they need to repent too. Not Well, I'm not going to agree disagree with that, but you need to worry about you because on Judgment Day, you get to answer for you, not them. And I would love to be standing there when someone says, but Lord, my spouse or my parents or my kids or that my boss. I mean, who are we going to use on Judgment Day for our bad attitude as an excuse? This is what it means to enter the kingdom. Then one last one, Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function. See this repetitive nature here? So it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. Think about that for just a second. We belong to each other. In our American individualistic culture of me and myself first, and my family and my preference, we belong to each other. That's a tough one. <laughs> now, I know some of you are thinking, oh, Pastor Tom, you can get overcommitted. You're right. You can be overcommitted. Don't go there. Well, but, but Pastor Tom, you can serve for the wrong reasons. I mean, you can serve just, you know, because you want power or you want to be validated or you want your identity. I, that's right. So serve for the right reasons. But serve. Because our Lord came not to serve, but to be, not to be served, but to serve. Following his steps serve this is a part of the body of christ nobody's role in the body of christ is full-time receiver there are no full-time receivers in the body of christ and people that try to be full-time receivers generally get upset or angry or frustrated or feel unfulfilled or 
I mean, they're constantly looking for some level of validation, if you will. And the way we get it is by giving. It's more blessed to give than receive. And so that's kind of how this goes in. And so when it comes to the idea of church, there's so many different churches and styles and patterns and worship services and uh, denominations. And so how do we know which is the right one? Well, we have to determine what's the right one for us. If you remember, we talked about binding and loosing. Um, Binding and loosing is us as a kingdom community wrestling with the scriptures. What parts need to be a part of our worship service? What parts need to be a part of our church culture? What parts need to be a part of the activities we do? What needs to be here and what doesn't need to be here? And we bind and we loose and it may look different than another church and it's okay if it looks different. I mean the Bible in Romans chapter 14 says one of you may think this day is better than this day. It's okay. It's okay if one of you thinks you should eat this and one of you thinks you shouldn't eat that. It's okay. Bind and loose as a body of Christ, come together, and then God holds us to whatever choice we make. But the way some of us do it, we just want to come, I just want to come somewhere on Sunday morning for an hour and a half, and I just want to have a service that gets me through my week and makes me feel good about myself. That's not church. And the world is not going to come into the kingdom from that. It's when the book of Acts, when we're connected, when we're actually brothers and sisters, when we're serving one another, when we're meeting one another's needs. And when I say serve, I'm not even talking about a role up here. But here's the thing. We all love to come and sit here on Sunday morning. But can I tell you how many people it takes for us all to sit here on Sunday morning? And I bet that there are some of you that aren't serving yet that could find a place that you could. Yep, you could. And you could give some of these people that do it every week a break. Praise the Lord. There's some shouting from the pit. I hear it. (laughs) And so, but it's not because we, I mean, when you're in the family, I mean, I've heard this analogy before. It's such a great analogy. Um, Because people are always like, well, you know, nursery, that's not my gift. I mean, do your kids at home, when parents, when you're like, hey, I need you to uh, take out the trash. Oh, I'm sorry, that's not my gift. I mean, some of your husbands may say that. <laughs> but we're a part of the family, so we all do chores. We all do something so that the family is healthy, growing, and full of love, and garbage is not overflowing everywhere. So that's our our calling, even though it might not be my gift. And so that's why I kind of hesitated to use gift, and I used for resources, time and energy. We give our time, we give our energy, and it's for a season. I mean, what you do today may not be what you're doing in five years. But I would love you to wrestle with those scriptures and find out, what is God saying for me? Because if you can't be committed here, go somewhere where you can be. I used to say that all the time, and people would come up after church, and they'd be like, Pastor Tom, don't tell people to go to other churches. Well, if they can't find a place to fit here, and you can't grow here, go where you can. Because I care more about your growth than the size of our church. And so I want you to grow. So grow. Stretch. Okay. All right. The next one, resources. Ooh, he's going to talk about money. Yep, you're right, I am, because the Bible talks about it. I don't talk about it a lot. In fact, I probably shy away from it more than I should. 
because the, the scripture is pretty clear on this idea of money and what we should do with it. And so let me put some scriptures in front of you again for this one. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2. On the first day of every week, that's Sunday, by the way, that's when they would gather for worship. Some of the Jews that were Christians still gathered on the Sabbath, Saturday, but others on Sunday. Doesn't matter. We could be a church that just meets on Saturday, or we could do both. First day of the week. Each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. Saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. In keeping with your income, there, there's this idea that your giving needs to be proportional. That you should not give in a way that makes you charge it on a credit card. That's not giving. That's debt and bondage. You need to find a way to cut expenses. I know in America, it's hard for us to think that we can actually live without cell phones and cable television and Netflix and Disney Plus and all of these other things that we have and, you know, Spotify. Um, but we could. We could live without all of those things. And so we give in proportion to our income. Now, some will say that means tithing. And we're going to talk about that in a second. But others would just say it just needs to be proportional. There it is. There's also a local aspect to giving and a global aspect. Because what Paul is talking about here. We're going to find in other places he's talking about taking collections for their local body. But this collection is for the poor and it's being sent to Jerusalem so it can be distributed from Jerusalem. So there's a global aspect. We take offerings here called Global Outreach where we partner with people, global partners around the world, some in South Dakota, some all across the United States and then all around the world. So they take the message of the kingdom of God in places we can't go. It's a global thing. We are not just serving God right here and here on South Dakota. God is far too big for that. So we partner with people and we give you a chance to give a global outreach offering every single month so that we can partner to take the gospel around the world, that global aspect. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul talks to the Corinthians a lot about their money because they were a wealthy church and they had lots of issues. Corinthians in America, we would, you know, yeah, we're, uh, we're the same. Wow. If you'd study the history of both places, uh, you'd be surprised at how very similar we are to the Corinthian church. But chapter 8, verse 1, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace. Interesting, this time we translated grace, not gift, same word. The grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, okay, picture Afghanistan today. Okay, very severe trial, because literally, that's what he's talking about. That's, go, that's Macedonia today. Their overflowing joy. How could you have overflowing joy if you lived in Afghanistan? Well, because you're in the kingdom. And a lot of the stuff coming out of Afghanistan is not filled with, from the Christians, is there is a sense of peace and joy even in the midst of the severe trial that's happening. Out of their extreme poverty welled up rich generosity. That is so bizarre, isn't it? That's the kingdom of God. Out of severe trial and extreme poverty, there is joy and generosity. That's kingdom. Verse 3, I testify that they gave as much as they were able, 
and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. Worship is taking an offering. It's the same word we talked about from from, uh, Acts chapter 13, verse 2. Service to the Lord. Worship, not a song. Serving, ministering to the Lord by giving to His body. It all comes together. Verse 5. They exceeded our expectations. Then he says to them, he goes on to compare them with this church, with this church. I always love that because I know if I'm like, hey, Restoration Church, this church in Miller, look at how good they did. Man, we, we need to step it up. People would be like, you shouldn't compare people's giving. Paul did, but I don't know. So anyway, verse 7, but since you excel in everything, don't you find that interesting? Because the Corinthian church made so many mistakes. I mean, read First and Second Corinthians. And tell me when you come to the end if you think they excel in everything. But that's what Paul says to them. I mean, yes, he corrects them, but then he's like, you guys excel in everything. In your faith, in your speech, in your knowledge, in your earnestness, in your love that we have kindled in you. See that you also excel in this grace, this gift of giving. And this doesn't just mean church offerings. This is tipping. If your waitress or your waiter is bad, tip them more. Not for their sake, but for yours. Because it'll teach you that I don't give to people because of what I think they deserve. I am even more generous when they don't deserve it. I want to cultivate generosity in my life. That's how we cultivate generosity. Not by tipping less but by tipping more. Someone just brought up this last week, someone had said, uh, well, I won't tip more than I tithe. Well, then you should tithe more. <laughs> if our cultural expectation is a certain, tithe, a certain tip, Christians should never be below that. If you can't afford it, don't go out to eat. That's opinion. But just like the Apostle Paul, I think I'm right in that. <laughs> second, second Corinthians, this is so much fun today. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. So what should we give? To tithe or not to tithe? That is the question. Restoration Church falls on the, we believe in tithing. So for our partners, we ask that you tithe, that you give 10% of your income as a voting partner of the church to the general fund of Restoration Church. It covers the expenses of the church. It helps us to help others. In addition to that, we take offerings beyond the tithe. The global outreach offering, our building fund offering, the help fund offering, church planning offering, those are not tithe. Those are beyond tithe. Now, we could be wrong in that. That's how we interpret Scripture. A lot of people will tell us that tithing, which the word tithe means tenth, Tenth. Okay, we translate a tithe, it means 10, 10%. 
So you can't tithe 5% of your income. You can give 5% of your income, but you can't tenth 5%. It just doesn't make sense because that's the word the Bible uses, 10%. It's not Old Testament law. It predates the law. Genesis chapter 14, Abraham meets this guy named Melchizedek, the king of Salem, and a priest of God Most High. So bizarre. He brings Abraham some bread and wine. I mean, there's so much symbolism and I don't have time. But Abraham gives Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods he recovered. Why did he do that? There's no law that says you have to tithe. Why did he do that? What was in the heart of our father Abraham to cause him to do that? In Genesis 28, his son, Jacob, grandson, says, This stone, which I have set up as a pillar, will be God's house. <laughs> and of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. This is before the law. That, that our founding fathers of the faith are getting this concept. In Mal all throughout the law, I didn't even put any scriptures up for the law. Leviticus, Deuteronomy, look up tithe, 10th, you'll find it everywhere. In Malachi chapter 3, the prophets talk about it. Malachi 3.8, will a mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. Not just in tithes, in tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation. Because you're robbing me. Some of us, we, we struggle to get our, our finances together. And we think once we get our finances together, then I'll tithe. But what, you think, what you're doing is you're seeing yourself as your own provider and not God. When we get to the point where we say, you know what, I'll tithe first. I can't do offerings right now, but I'll tithe because that's the limit. That's all I can do. I'm barely going to make it if I tithe. And then God begins to bless us so that we can give more. Not bless us so that we can buy more, but to bless us so we can give more, so we can grow in the grace of giving. I know people that have, have started by tithing 10%, but now they give 90% of their income and they live off of 10%. Oh, man, sign me up for that. Well, you got to start and you got to grow in the grace of giving and you got to know that you can be trusted and that you're not going to just spend it on yourself and build all of this for you, but you're going to give. You're going to be generous. And again, not just church offerings, you're going to be generous everywhere that you go. Verse 10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there will be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there's not room enough to store it. In Matthew chapter 23, from the mouth of Jesus, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you're hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, your mint, your dill, and your cumin. In other words, everything that grows in your garden, you even tithe that. But you neglect the most important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. See, people get hung up on this idea that all throughout like the gospel and you know, all throughout the New Testament, they don't talk about tithing. So it must not, but the church was Jewish. <laughs> of course they didn't talk about tithing. It was a part of who they were. And it was so ingrained in them, it was what they did because they saw God as their provider. I don't live by bread alone. I live from what comes from God. Every good thing comes from Him, so I give back to Him first to show that I believe that, and then I live on the rest of it. 
And even from that, I live generously. Plus, in the book of Acts, people were selling things and bringing it all. We could, go, we could do that. <laughs> Let's just start with the tithe. Because all of this goes to help with the expenses of the body of Christ. And in the New Testament, there, I'm almost finished. Hang with me. In the New Testament, there's a couple verses. 1 Timothy chapter 5. Elders, these, th- those who direct and lead the church, elders who do their work well should be respected and paid well, especially those who work hard at both preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you must not muzzle an ox to keep it from eating as it treads out the grain. And in another place, those who work deserve their pay. In Galatians chapter 6, Paul says it this way. Those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. And we hear so much in our world today about, oh, the TV evangelists are always asking for money. They shouldn't even have to. Because if you're tuning in and getting fed, you should send an offering. That's the Bible. I mean, I struggle with this all the time. I listen to podcasts, and then when they get to the part about you can subscribe and give, and it's like, the Bible really says I should do that. And it seems so bizarre to even just do a dollar or two a month, but if I'm going to be fed from them, I ought to give to them. Because this is a scripture. And that's the the part of life. And I'm not doing it for them. I'm doing it for me. Because I want to grow in generosity and I want to recognize what they've done for me and I want to give back to that because it's a part of the body of Christ. The church is also supposed to be using the funds to care for the poor. That's what the Old Testament tithe was all about. And we see it all throughout the New Testament. Giving so that people can give to the poor. They can give to the needy. I believe... I've said it over and over again in my life, and I'll say it again. If the church today would tithe, every person who goes to church services would tithe, and churches would handle finances well, we would not need welfare. Because the church could do its job. And yet we complain that a government can't do it right. Well, they're not supposed to. They're not supposed to care for the poor. We are. And so that's the point. That's what we do. And that's why we tithe. We grow in generosity and giving so that we can give as there's need. One of the things I love about our church is every time I say, hey, we have a family that's in need, bam, we get overwhelmed with, literally, with people who want to give to bless that person. We are great at one-time giving. We sometimes struggle with consistent giving, with that tithing, with the regular, because, I mean, who wants to give to pay the light bill? Who wants to give to pay rent? Who wa- but we all want to come and worship together. We got to pay for what we want to do together. And so if we don't, if we think, hey, we're spending too much on this, okay, let's wrestle with it. How do we spend less on that? Okay, that means we got to cut something that may be your preference. And so we give, and we don't just give to our preferences because I give to others because I don't belong to myself. I belong to you. So I give to that as well. So over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about other parts. We're going to talk about connection. We're going to talk about covenant. We're even going to talk about um, 
some other things that I'm trying to get to start with the letter C so that they all match, which is why I use the word commodities today. Um, so in case you were wondering, I'm just trying to be clever. But I'd encourage you, go back through the verses I gave you. There is a resource online called BibleGateway.com. BibleGateway.com. You can word search anything in the scripture. Look up gift, look up grace, look up serve, look up give, look up money, look up provide, look up some verses that go along with this and let God begin to shape your heart for how you should bring commodities to the table at Restoration Church or wherever you are a part of. If you're visiting with us today that and you're not from this area, that can be your job too. Find out how does God want me to be a part of the church that I am? How can I bring my commodities? And so don't forget, next week, we're going to be down at Memorial Park, not here, Memorial Park. We're actually going to talk about connection down in Memorial Park. Ah, it's almost like someone planned that. Um, and we're going to talk about that, and we're going to practice it a little bit next week, too, and not just at the picnic. So you're going to want to be there. It's going to be awesome. Hope you can all be a part of it. Let me pray for you, and then I'm going to let you go. Father, thank you for the work that you are doing in our lives. God, thank you that you came to us first. You came when we were your enemies. You demonstrated love, you stepped towards us, and you continue. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness endure forever. And God, I pray that you would help us now as a body. Help us as individual members of this body to know how to bring our commodities to this table. God, how do we serve? How do we give our time, our energy? How do we give our, our, our money, our finances, God, our gifting, to make this body what you designed it to be so that it can be healthy, it can be growing, and it can be full of love. And I pray that as we wrestle with these this week, Holy Spirit, we need your help. We need to see the areas of our lives that we're not going to see without your help. The areas that we maybe have become blind to or callous to, or maybe that our own biases have kept us from seeing. I pray that as we read these scriptures this week, God, that you just enlighten our hearts. Cause us to see what we never saw before. Make us more like you as an individual and as a corporate body. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.